Deputy Chairman Fred Hampton of the Illinois Black Panther Party. Repeat after me. stolen car, five years for impersonating a federal officer, or you can go home. The Black Panthers are forming a rainbow coalition of oppressed brothers and sisters of every color. Their aim is to sow hatred and inspire terror. I will learn all that I can. I These ain't no terrorists. You can murder a liberator, but you can't murder liberation. You can murder revolutionary, but you can't murder revolution. And you can murder a freedom fighter, but you can't murder freedom. Welcome to the Strange Harbors podcast, a weekly discussion of film, television, and pop culture. My name is Jeff Zhang, and tonight I'm joined by... Amir Ture. And Derek Wong. So today we'll be discussing writer and director Shaka King's latest film, Judas and the Black Messiah, the story of Black Panther activist Fred Hampton and his assassination in 1969. The film stars Daniel Kaluuya as Hampton and Lakeith Stanfield as William O'Neill, who infiltrated the Black Panthers on behalf of the FBI's illegal COINTELPRO program. Uh, So this is now streaming on HBO Max, and just a week before its HBO Max premiere, it had a screening at Sundance, so now I've seen the movie twice. You guys saw it on HBO Max, right? Is that Mm -hmm. correct? A lot of buzz around this film, a lot of uh, Oscars talk. So what did you guys think? I think we should just get right into it, right? I think I liked it, but didn't love it. There were some pieces that didn't 100% work for me. Yeah, it was it was really enjoyable all the same. I always love this historical uh, stuff. I love the uh, period, the 1960s, the civil rights movement, black power. Oh, I, love, I love all that stuff. So that's all really... So like as far as the visuals and the aesthetic and the time period, I think they got it. I think some of what doesn't work is maybe... I don't know if you feel like you got it into O'Neill's head. I feel like he's... Still, for as great a job as Keith Stanfield did as an actor, I maybe still feel like I didn't know who the guy he was playing was, which maybe that's the point. Maybe he's supposed to be a bit of a cipher and a bit of a nobody, but it's just that's a bit where I feel let down. Um, I think uh, Daniel Kaluuya does a, does a great job as Fred Hampton, but not always. There's some times where I don't quite buy it. But overall, I think the casting was was really amazing, and I think the main cast does an incredible job. Yeah, I, I think I think we could, we got to talk about the casting a little bit later. Um, I think a lot of people have issues with the actors' ages in relation to how old the actual people were. Um, we'll get into that later, but I, I I definitely agree. I think the story that Shaka King is trying to tell, I think it paints a very very complex portrait of 
not just Fred Hampton and William O'Neill, but like of America during that time, right? Like the the tumultuous time of of the civil rights movement. But I think he tries to do too much. I think his eyes are bigger than his stomach here, where I think a lot of the emotional beats fall a little flat just because of how much he's trying to do here. I think like the betrayal itself, I didn't really connect with as much. For a movie called Judas and the Black Messiah, I don't think it lived up to its biblical proportion name, right? I didn't feel the emotion of that betrayal just because I don't think they had the characters interact enough. I didn't think uh, Fred Hampton and William O'Neill in this film built that connection for that betrayal to really hit. Maybe that's like real life history. I mean, I don't, I don't know, but like, I feel like for a movie called Judas and the Black Messiah, like you want that, that final emotional beat to connect and it it didn't really for me but but like like you said the performances are fantastic in this i think the direction the performances and like the craft of this movie is incredible i think it's really really good i just don't think it connected with me the way that it was meant to i would probably echo a lot of the sentiments that you guys have already said i think that kaluuya even though he's technically in a sense second build because the perspective of the story really kind of follows Bill O'Neill. Is Stanfield first, Bill? I, I feel like it is, because I believe in a lot of the, what's it called, awards races, Kulia is being put up in supporting rather than main actor. Right, right, right. I think it's it's mainly because it is kind of told in his perspective, right? They get around the same amount of screen time, but I mean, a lot of this movie is told through William's perspective when we do any of that kind of FBI stuff, but also a lot of the Black Panther stuff is usually with him. Absolutely. And, and you're totally right. Kalia was nominated for Best Supporting Actor at the Golden Globes and mm-hmm. SAG, SAG Awards. So yeah, it looks like this is the Keith Stanfield's movie. Yeah. So And that's part of the problem for me. Like I love Keith Stanfield as an actor, and I think he does an admiral job in this role but i do think it's maybe not miscast but i don't know if this is the right role for him and i honestly was not as compelled with the you know william o'neill character as much as i think kaluuya is just electric in this fred hampton role yeah and i think this is definitely his movie and just to watch it for like his speeches and his cadence and just his presence in this movie, I think is amazing and and maybe worth the watch. But other than that, like the story, I think I agree with you guys is it's a little disjointed and uneven at times. Yeah, the pacing feels off. Sometimes the motivation's a bit muddled because even though it's a movie from Bill O'Neill's point of view, you're never really in his head. You never really dig down to that motivation. I feel like I still enjoyed the movie, but okay, it's it's not Malcolm X. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like thinking about like, you know, all the movies we've seen recently and even even things like, you know, we always go back to this, like watching something like Watchmen. Right. Like, I, I don't know. I wasn't as compelled or just stricken by, unfortunately, in, the, in this kind of telling of Fred Hampton's story versus like all the other things we've seen lately with like One Night in Miami and, I, you know, me rewatching Malcolm Max. Okay. Yeah. That's the natural comparison. Same time period. It's like a sort mm-hmm. of similar themes how do you compare this to one night in miami which movie did you enjoy more oh i i definitely enjoyed one night miami more. yeah i did too now i mean if we're talking about movies that have fred hampton in that 
uh, I enjoyed this more than Trial of the Chicago Seven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I, I guess that's that. Uh, that's one thing I would I would say. You know, watch this and maybe not. Uh, I, I would never tell anyone not to watch that, but. I, I definitely enjoyed this more than, than that movie. Right. It's interesting how all that history is so closely connected. And you have, you know, Malcolm X, who's dead at the, at the time of this film. His speeches are inspiring Fred Hampton, you know, uh, who's the, you know, sort of the deuteragonist of this film. And uh, it's connected directly to the trial of Chicago 7 as well. So mm-hmm. I think I think there's a interesting thing here where I think it's a mistake to categorize this as a biopic. It's not really a biopic. No, it's not. Because <laughs> first of all, it only covers like, what, a couple years at the tail end of Fred Hampton's life? Yeah, you maybe, know? Not and, even, not, maybe not even a couple. Yeah, maybe <laughs> just one year. And, and, and it's then like it's one year, yeah. A couple months maybe, yeah. Yeah, and the focus is split between Hampton and, and O'Neill, right? I do think you're right that... Bill O'Neill is more central because, you know, like the film opens up with that Eyes on the Prize uh, interview, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and ends with it, too. We don't get nearly as much uh, of the real Fred Hampton as we do the real Bill O'Neill. Yeah. As far yeah. as taking, you know, clips from real people speaking, we get a ton of Bill O'Neill. Um, we don't we don't really get very much Fred Hampton at all. It's interesting because at the start of the film is Lakeith Stanfield. But when that film ends, it transitions into the real Bill O'Neill the mm-hmm. footage, right? I thought that was that was an interesting yeah. little uh, transition. And actually, speaking to your point about this not being a traditional biopic, so uh, Vulture had a interview with um, Keith and Kenny Lucas, who were both actually writers on this movie mm-hmm. too, and they talked a lot about how they tried to shop it to a lot of studios and didn't go anywhere for a long time. They wanted it to not be that kind of traditional biopic, and that's partially why they told it in the perspective of, of Bill O'Neill and kind of coming from this almost like crime drama a- angle mm-hmm. versus like your traditional kind of biopic. Yeah. I do think Lakeith Stanfield is very, very good in this role. I don't know if I quite agree that he's miscast. I do see a lot of the conflicts. He's a very like acting with his eyes type actor right and like you see the conflict within him when he's going through this narrative but like you see the conflict within him but you don't feel the conflict which i i think is a big issue here Mm -hmm. because i just don't think they spend enough time like developing that conflict that should be like the crux of the movie and and it doesn't feel like it is yeah, and I, I think it goes back to the fact that like Keith Stanfield is doing a very good job of playing a generic double agent guy, like with torn loyalties, but right. he's not playing a good Bill O'Neill because we don't know who Bill O'Neill is, right? And the film never tells us. And I don't know, maybe that's because Bill O'Neill doesn't know who Bill O'Neill is. It's interesting to listen carefully to that stuff from Eyes on the Prize, where he says in the end, he says, "You know, I didn't sit it out on the sidelines." He basically paints himself as someone who's in the struggle. But it's like, in the struggle for what? I don't even know what side you were fucking on. Yeah. So how can you paint yourself as someone with conviction who who was part of the struggle when, like, I still don't know, like, what was your deal? Were you just working for the FBI because you genuinely thought the Black Panthers were shitty? Were you just in it for the money? Were you completely apolitical? Like, his intro is him being conscripted by the FBI. So, like, right? You can't really feel like... He's part of the struggle because that's not how his character was introduced at all, right? Yeah, but I think the movie itself wants you to believe by the end that he is maybe 
torn because he is part of this struggle. Like he he now kind of recognizes himself as as a member of Black Panthers and maybe he, he himself believes in it. I think the movie wants you to believe that. I agree absolutely because like Stanfield again he plays a conflicted person and so that means that the movie wants you to think he has some you know connection to Black Panther Party completely yeah. But what I was gonna say is just like for me I don't know if it completely works by the end of it like I think that's partially I think maybe what both of you guys are saying that I think it needed to be developed a little bit more so that I believe that this was like you know, the most difficult choice for this guy, right? To have to betray someone that he loved or someone he admired, right? Like, I don't quite feel that at the end. Yeah, and I think that's because, again, it's a generic choice. It's like, oh, well, here's this guy in this double agent scenario. Let's make him conflicted. But we don't really know. Was Bill O'Neill conflicted? Or was he just like, yeah, fuck Red Hampton. We got him. Like, who the fuck knows? Like, and, and, you know, I guess you can kind of go to what Bill O'Neill himself says, where um, I think he denies drugging Fred Hampton, but he killed himself the night this documentary came out. The Eyes on the Prize too, like the night that it came out, mm-hmm. he killed himself. He like ran out into traffic. And so I guess there's some question whether that's suicide or whether it was an accident or like what's the motivation? Was he guilty over killing Fred Hampton or like who knows? But I mean, it's suggestive. But again, like who really knows? Like – you're asking me in this documentary, like, what would you tell your son about your actions in the late 1960s and early 1970s? And, and he says, I was part of the struggle. I wasn't one of those armchair revolutionaries. At least I had a point of view and put it on the line. What the fuck does that mean, dude? <laughs> I want to see that in the film. I don't want to exactly. see it in, like, an, like an, in a title card at the end saying, like, he yeah. killed himself, right? And, like, it's fine. Like, I think what Derek's – that like, Derek's pointing at that weakness of, you, you know, the movie doesn't sell the conflict in – in, in Bill O'Neill. And I think that's fine. Maybe Bill O'Neill doesn't have any conflict. But then just show us who the real Bill O'Neill is. Like, that's interesting too. Right. And, like, that would be totally fine if he's not conflicted or if he's only a little conflicted or whatever. Or I even, totally agree. He, I even totally if he's agree. just a piece of shit who's just, like, out for the money and is like, fuck Fred Hampton. That's a cool story too. It's that's just a compelling character in and out of yeah, itself, right? Yeah, yeah that's I a agree. completely interesting guy to, like, base a movie around. And just an, a horror movie, a tragedy, just watching this snake lying in wait for Fred Hampton, right? But, like, you know, in a way we don't really know what Bill, Bill O'Neill is. Is he fish or fowl? So, I think Bill O'Neill needs the equivalent of Deborah Johnson in this movie. Like, a story that parallels that in some way. I'm not saying, like, make something up for him, but, like, something that's equivalent to Dominique Fishback's role. Something personal. Right? Something, something personal. Because I thought mm-hmm. that was great for it was for, it was for Fred Hampton, and I think Daniel Kaluuya played really really well opposite Dominique Fishback, and like uh, it's a different side of him that you get to see that's not the the firebrand activist, right? And I think that shades the character a lot, and just Bill O'Neill doesn't have the equivalent of that, and I think the character suffers for it. There's definitely no personal stakes for him other than his own well being, I guess. Because I think the end culminates to him being threatened, right? Like it's him or or Hampton, and he, I mean, he, right. This character chooses himself, but like you don't want to fabricate something. But a lot of times, these kind of biopics do, right? To kind of nudge the truth a little bit and embellish, see, yeah, yeah embellish the truth a little bit. And then, yeah, and I could have seen something here, like you know, the crowns are like an amalgam of a bunch of different gangs that actually existed, and like there's there's some fudging. Like some of these people are like composites or whatever. Well, I mean, they definitely sand down some of 
Fred Hampton's rhetoric in this too, right? Like he's painted more of as like a socialist than like a Marxist Leninist and that he was in real life. And like, there's not much of his like kill the cops mentality here either. Um, I think they sand that down a lot, which is fine. I mean, I think you want to make it a little more palatable for, for general audiences, maybe. I don't know, but I know what you guys are saying. So speaking of that, one thing I didn't get was like, I don't know, the movie didn't seem like it. Like, I know the cops are the villains, but it seems like it didn't fully take a side in some of those conflicts. Like, I feel like a lot of those shootouts with the police were just very, seemed very arbitrary. Mm. Like, from a filmmaking perspective, I just didn't understand, like, okay, why are they now just in this crazy shootout? Like, and it happened three or four times. I'm just like, I don't get the motivation for any of these fucking things. I've read it as during this time where the cops that were confronting, you know, this particular Black Panther group were just very rash and trigger happy, like looking for any reason right. to. Right. And so, like, I feel like you should show us that. Like, show us the Black Panthers being harassed by the cops or show the cops fucking with people in the community and the Black Panthers coming to defend them and then they get into a shootout and then you're like, oh, I get why the Black Panthers mm. exist, right? Like, I get what their whole idea of armed struggle was about. It's not just like randomly being like, hey, let's just shoot at the fucking cops, right? Like, it just seemed a little bit like the point was lost. Partially for me, it was kind of like summed up a, a lot with like, you know, Sheen as like the, the the Hoover character, right? This kind of paranoia for these, this kind of uprising that, that was occurring with like people like, you know, uh, King and X and, and Hampton, right? So like this this paranoia that we have to stop these people at all cost. I don't know, kind of like extended to the FBI, but also extended to the police for me, I guess, in this movie. The movie kind of paints that persona of the cops and the FBI as this kind of very villainy group that is just out to get the Black Panthers and out to get the Black cause. I think yes for the FBI. And I think you can like historically draw a straight line and be like, oh yeah, that's literally true. Like the FBI is literally, like Hoover literally said, hey, we need to destroy this Fred Hampton and like literally knew about the assassination and like directed it. I mean, so that's like just, just true. Like the movie's just portraying right. the truth in the case of the FBI. I feel like with the cops, it didn't do as good a job of making it clear that like the cops were being racist and overstepping their bounds and the Black Panthers were fighting against them. I don't know, maybe... Maybe it's all just supposed to be taken to be assumed, but I just wanted to see some of that because, like, that's what the Black Panther Party is about, right? It's about keeping the cops honest, cop watching, armed struggle. Yeah, and I think what the movie doesn't do very well and doesn't make very clear because, I mean, I, I'm going to be honest, I didn't know this history, right? I don't know this history that well. So, you know, it, the movie makes it seem like it's the, like the FBI the whole time. And to then figure out at the end that it was actually the cops that raided the apartment, not the FBI, was a little unclear to me. And I, I think maybe goes with what you're saying with this kind of uh, unclear narrative for the the police force. As much as the FBI is played as evil, they also get some nuance. And that Keith Stanfield's working for them. And you have Jesse Plemons' character, which great fucking casting choice, by the way. He is an excellent... Mm -hmm fucking evil bureaucrat white dude he's like perfect dude yeah yeah but like they set up his character very early in the movie to be like a more righteous you know fbi agent yeah absolutely he, he has some shades of gray like he's not just like a complete 
horrible piece of shit, right? Like, and, and this is really true. Like, he did, like, the real life guy, uh, Mitchell, is that it? Mitchell? Yeah, he, Roy like, Mitchell. He, Roy Mitchell, he really did, like, work on cases like the Mississippi burning case and stuff like that. Like, that's a, that's an absolutely real fucking thing. Yeah, but I, I think just like at the end of the movie, he, like, then just becomes this, oh, I, I'm going to say it again, like, this almost cartoon like villain that just goes along with the FBI and, I get what you're saying in terms of inconsistent narration, but to be fair, the FBI was literally cartoonishly villainous, right? Yeah. Like, they were just literally straight up evil going around, like, just murdering people. Like, like, they were incredibly fucked up. So, like, I feel like it just goes to show that, like, you can be a good person or have shades of gray in you or whatever. And if you work for this organization, you're still complicit in some fucking horrible shit. Yeah, and I don't know to what extent Roy Mitchell was, like, a good person or racist or nice to his mom or racist kids well or whatever, but like based on what he participated in as an agent of the FBI, a lot of it was just straight up evil shit. I think it's a little weird that they try to paint some nuance in that. Because you don't have the room to do that, right? Just like let him just let yeah. him be like the fucked up guy we need him to be for this movie. Yeah. But the thing is, he's a real guy, and that history really is there. So you can't just, like, be like, oh, yeah. Like, you can't turn him into fucking Bull Connor or something. Yeah, but, like, I think, like, to set him up that way in the beginning, I felt it was leading to this maybe moment where he himself is maybe in conflict with what the FBI is about to do. But at the end, he isn't, right? Like, it's – and maybe yeah. that's the true story, but, like, it's just a weird narrative for this character that doesn't – it doesn't just – have a, a clear through line, I think. Yeah, and I think he, he's enough of, like, a secondary or tertiary character that he's not supposed to have a through line, but then they kind of, like, bait you into thinking he's going to. Yeah. And so I, I kind of get where you're going. I think I think that's the problem you have with, like, a lot of these historical or biographical films where, like, you kind of want something to, like, fit your narrative that you're trying to sell through this movie, but then, like, real life doesn't like fit that narrative so like you're kind of like at an impasse right like what do you do do you change the character or do you let it be awkward in the movie right which i think is is definitely a problem that a lot of these movies have and i'm just i was gonna just say i'm glad they aired on the side of like historical accuracy here Mm -hmm. like even Mm -hmm. if it made for kind of like a weird choppy narrative it's cool to like look into the stuff and be like oh hey they got that right they got that right they tried to get this right okay they merged a couple of people in here but still like it gets the message across like i like that as opposed to just like oh yeah we completely like made shit up and like in doing so completely i don't know bent history to our whims like one night in miami did this to sam cook right so i kind of like that this movie took it the other way even if it ended up being kind of a more choppy product Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought J. Edgar Hoover, Martin Sheen, the the makeup it did was very for me. Yeah, it, did not yeah. it was it did very, not very grotesque and like caricature esque. I mean, I get that he was a piece of shit, but you can have the performance carry that. Yeah, he's like fucking Baron Harkonnen. Get the fuck out of here! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Like he's supposed to do. He's supposed to be like a Frank Langella, like Frost Nixon, Nixon, right? Like he's yeah, supposed to be that, yeah. and he just doesn't sell. It doesn't work, man. I don't think he looks enough like Hoover. He's too Martin Sheen. I don't yeah. know. It just it sticks out like a sore thumb. Does not work. But if you guys want to learn more about like uh, Pro and stuff like that, you should watch MLK FBI, the documentary about this whole illegal FBI operation. It's crazy. The fucked up shit that they do. They sent a letter to Martin Luther King telling him to kill himself. That's a very enlightening documentary. It's so funny. I, I, I thought you were going to say uh, people should watch Eyes on the Prize. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Eyes on the, 
I mean, which I actually have seen. I grew up watching that shit. My parents, like, I watched that with my parents when I was a kid. <laughs> so, would you have maybe watched this interview? No, I don't remember watching that. I think I probably. I don't. I definitely don't remember seeing it as a kid. Uh, maybe I did, but I, I definitely. But you would have been pretty young, right? Nineteen ninety. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying I watched it necessarily like as it. Like we probably oh, okay. saw it on like VHS or whatever. But uh, Jeff, you you mentioned um, something about wanting to talk about the age of the actors, right? Did you want to go into that? Yeah. So I'm of actually two minds on this. The first time I saw someone speak of this, a bunch of critics have mentioned this, and they said that. The film definitely would have benefited from casting actors more the age of the actual people because Fred Hampton was only 21. It's insane Which to me. Which is insane. And, and this is one of those things that – I'm sorry. Uh, uh, like I got to cut in here. Like This is one of those things that's been like – I don't know. Maybe not weighing on me but like a realization that's been growing in my head is like how like amazingly like talented and gifted these leaders were and like how one of a kind these kinds of people are. Because, like, after you were talking about rewatching uh, Malcolm X, you, like, inspired me to, like, go back and uh, read the autobiography of Malcolm X. Oh, nice. Like, with Alex Haley. So, I was reading that. And one of the things that struck me was how talented Malcolm X was as a person. Just, like, how many gifts he had. He was just tall, smart, good-looking, incredibly charismatic. He caught on quickly everywhere. He went people, like... Wanted to help him, wanted to look out for him somehow. Like he's able to hustle his way into this, hustle his way into that. Even in his years as a criminal, it was like the first twenty something years of his life. Like he got by on so much natural, just talent and charisma and intelligence, and like all of that was so clear, even when he was like a thug. And you know, I was reading a little bit about Fred Hampton, and he doesn't have like that criminal background, but in terms of just raw talent, he was the same way, just like Malcolm. I mean, he was like a varsity athlete, honor student, like, and, like, so charismatic and potentially threatening to the FBI that they killed him by 21. I haven't done anything important in my life for anyone to want to fucking kill me. And I'm definitely way, <laughs> way older than 21. Were you important enough for anyone to want to fucking assassinate nope. you at 21? Like, imagine the fucking level of just, like, vision and charisma and just, like, I don't know, just just the... To have an entire government want to kill you. <laughs> yeah, and, like, it's unbelievable. And so you just, you don't think about, like, oh, what were these people like in real life? And, like, yeah, these, these, these guys are just, they don't, they don't come along all the time. Yeah, so, I mean, let's just put, put this in perspective, right? Because Hampton was 21 when he died. And Daniel Kaluuya is 31, so a full 10 years older than Hampton was, right? And then O'Neill... He was like 20. 20. And then Stanfield is 29. But then he's only 17 when he was first approached by the FBI, right? So there's a big age difference there. So, like, my thing is, like, you're never going to find a 21-year-old actor these days to, like, pull off that level of charisma and, like, commanding screen presence, that electrifying performance, I just don't think you're going to be able to find it. I mean, you might. I think it's tough. It's tough. It's tough, right? But then on the other hand, you're losing the the wow factor of just how young these people were and exactly what you said, like how how incredibly like charismatic and, and unique these people were, mm-hmm. right? So I don't know. I'm of, I'm of two minds. I, I, th- I think for the ease of filming and like 
for marketability, you're not going to be able to find someone close to their ages be able to pull off this role. But on the other hand, like part of what makes them so special is how young they were. So I don't know. It's it's hard to say. I was admittedly very taken aback when I, you know, when those title cards come up at the end and it says like he was only 21. I was like, what? You know, because, you know, they don't look admittedly don't look 21. And like it was very strange at the beginning of the movie when the, you know, one of the people in the pool hall is like, this guy's a kid. I'm like. Wait, how old is he supposed to be? Because, you know, Lakeith Sandro <laughs> right, doesn't right. look that young. And I don't know how young they were trying to portray him as. So I love Kaluuya in this movie. And he's so good that I don't think I would want him to be anyone different. You know, like, I, I don't think you could find someone to be as good as Kaluuya. But, I mean, I've already spoke my piece about Stanfield. Like, maybe you could have found actually someone younger to replace him. But at the same time, you know, I love Lakeith Stanfield. And... And I love his work, so. Yeah, I think I, I disagree with that. I, I think Stanfield's great here. I think it's just the role he was given to play was just, I don't know, off somehow. It's not that it wasn't meaty enough. He's obviously the central character. I think, I think it's the he's material just, surrounding yeah. the role and not the role yeah, something, itself. Something, I, something, I, yeah, I something's so, a little yeah. off there, I, I think. Yeah, it's a very tough, very tough question uh, to answer. How do you find someone uh, that age? I wanted to talk about one particular scene that I really enjoyed. I love the scene when Hampton is like reciting. Was it one of X's speeches or one of um, King's speeches when he was playing it over this quarter? I'm pretty sure that's Malcolm X. No, I think it's one of King's speeches, but then he recites by memory one of Malcolm's speeches, right? Okay, yeah. Yeah, like I really love that scene. Like it, it kind of shows like the person he was, like the influences he came from, but then like that really loving scene between him and Deborah. Like that is definitely one of my favorite scenes in this movie. And then really any time that he just kind of goes up and does a speech, I think it's just so powerful. And I think really like it's such a great performance from Kluya. I think he gets better as the movie goes on. Too. Yeah, that too. In the yeah. beginning, I was a little like, mm, I don't know if I'm by. And then like, as the movie goes on, he really starts to feel it. And he's, he crushes it. Yeah. And like, is he physically different too? He looks stockier and like, he looks kind of more, I don't know, Fred Hampton. <laughs> he looks a little yeah. different than I remember. And, and, you know, props to him, too, for, like, this isn't his role from Get Out. This isn't him in, like, I don't know, fucking Black Panther. Like, he's clearly trying to be Fred Hampton here. And so credit to him as an actor for that. He's not just playing the same guy in every movie or whatever. Yeah, I mean, his his range is incredible. Like, you got Get Out and then Widows, where he plays the villain, and then Black Panther, and then this. It's He's got such range. It's It's... It's very impressive. Yeah, I, I think it's only a matter a matter of time before he gets some like serious awards recognition, if not this year for for this role. I, actually, I was going to ask that. I haven't really been following long as much as I would no- normally in the past years. Is this eligible for this year's Oscars? Yes, it is. It is okay. Just because I know they kind of shifted dates, and so I don't know when when movies need to like come out by and all that kind of stuff now. Do you guys like it enough to put it in the Oscar running here? Do you think it's at least for Kaluuya's performance? I do think I, I would I would give him uh, the best supporting nod for that. Yeah, I think for sure. And yeah. also, this is definitely something the the awards voters would eat up. Would eat up, yeah, for sure. Not that that's a knock against. I mean, sometimes it is, but I think in this case, it's it's a very very good performance. I don't know if Lakeith Stanfield quite makes the cut. Yeah, for I best wouldn't. actor. I think yeah. I think there's a lot of it's a stacked competition, I think, and I don't think he 
he cuts the mustard on this. I don't know. Let's see what the best actor field is looking like. Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal, which was incredible. That movie was so good. Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey. Delroy Lindo. Oh, well, lots of actors of color. I like to see that. Yeah, a lot of black actors. Gary Oldman for Mank, which I didn't really like. Is this for lead actor, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're talking about... I mean, just mentioning those roles, I, I really don't know if... I don't think it cuts Stanfield kind of yeah, cuts it against those kind of guys. Especially when you even just mentioned those first two. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I think we're... I, I think uh, <laughs> it's going to be hard for him to kind of... Yeah get his recognition in in this particular category but i think i think kaluuya is i i think he definitely could be in contention for a nod even though the globes shut shut him out shut this movie out shut him out like it's dude i don't know what was going on i don't know why jared leto was nominated so much for the little things that movie was dog shit but (laughs) (laughs) uh was there uh, anything else you guys wanted to bring up yeah i had a couple things one is just you're talking about age and like when you stop and think about it fred hampton was really he wasn't even really a national figure i mean i guess he was the fbi was after him but like he's really only like an illinois chicago guy and that was already so dangerous like he clearly had so much promise but like let's snuff this guy out before he becomes like another malcolm x or something like that like it's 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 wild that that they intervened like so early and so hard other thing is just to like kind of nailed down how shitty the cops were. So I don't know if you guys have heard of this story, but um, apparently, like, uh, the Black Panthers in Chicago, the, they were about to set up a, uh, a like a free breakfast program for children. And the night before the program was supposed to open, the Chicago police broke into the church and mashed up all the food and urinated on it. Wow. That is terrible. Yeah. So, like, this is the kind of shit that they were doing. And they would like, yeah, they just like completely did everything they could to tear down the Black Panther Party. I mean, saying that the Black Panther Party would teach their kids racism. They lied saying the free food the Black Panther Party's given out was infected with VD, harassing people, just like, just crazy. But yeah, like breaking, come on, urinating on free food to begin with children. That's just like. That's awful. Yeah, it's like cartoonishly. Um, and so that that's the kind of shit the fucking Chicago cops were up to around then. So Speaking of the age stuff again, I was reading this article by this writer I really like, Angie Han. She's talking about, mm-hmm. like, what we lose when biopics cast actors who are the wrong age. And, like, she was, like, listing all these examples. Like, this is, like, an epidemic, like, within Hollywood when they when they cast people in biopics and stuff. Like, Gary Oldman playing someone two decades younger in Mank, right? Like, the entire cast of The Trial of Chicago 7 is way older than the people who who they played in real life, right? Like, Sasha Baron Cohen's almost 50, and then he plays Abby Hoffman, who's only 33. And then, like, Jeremy Strong played Jerry Rubin. Uh, he's 41. Jerry Rubin's 31. So, like, there's a lot of, like, this aging up, just because, like, you probably can't find an actor that's appropriate for that age, right? Like, you just said you can't find an actor that age? What? No, I mean, you can, you can find an actor that age, but, like, I don't know. I think it's just, like... In the name of like name recognition and like you want that marquee name, you know, and and I think people are like oh whatever, it's, age is just a number, but I do think it like diminishes like some of the accomplishments of these real life people when you have someone way older play them, right? So does it happen as much the other way where it's someone younger playing playing aged up or not really? I don't think so. I can't think of any examples. 
I, I did read an interesting, I was trying to find the article and I can't seem to find it anymore, but I did read an interesting article about the, like the soundtrack to this movie and it, it's filled with a lot of like, you know, um, current and young like rappers and, and, and artists. But it's interesting that the soundtrack itself kind of conflicts with Fred Hampton's message, right? I mean, you know, in one of his speeches, he talks about, like, we don't fight capitalism with black capitalism. And a lot of what, you know, rap and music is these days is about, like, the gains that you can get, right, from from stardom and from, you know, trying to make that money, right? It's nice to, you know, have these kind of, like, uh, prominent black artists in this movie but a lot of times their message conflicts with what Fred Hampton was trying to profess. Mm. I'm sorry, I have a fucking perfect example of this. Please. Um, so, do you remember that uh, I think it's the Super Bowl a couple years ago. Ram Trucks used uh, a Mountain Luther King speech to sell car commercials. Do you guys remember this? No. Did they? I don't remember this. They used... A Martin Luther King speech uh, to, to try and like sell trucks or whatever, and um, in that very speech that they use, like they cut it off before he goes and talks about like uh, the crass use of commercialism and the like, car commercials. It's like insane. That's it's, like, crazy. The most on point crazy thing I've ever heard. Uh, the presence of this instinct explains why we are so often taken by advertisers. You know. Uh, those gentlemen of massive verbal persuasion. And they have a way of saying things to you that kind of gets you in the bind. In order to be a man of distinction, you must drink this whiskey. In order to make your neighbors envious, you must drive this type of car. In order to be lovely to love, you must wear this kind of uh, lipstick or this kind of perfume. And you know, before you know it, you're just buying that stuff. And I've got to drive this car because it's something about this car that makes my car a little better than my neighbor's car. And I am sad to say that the nation in which we live is the supreme culprit. And I'm going to continue to say it to America. It's pretty, it's pretty unbelievable. How many years ago was this? This is like 50 years ago. I mean, he's obviously been dead. No, 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 no. The, this commercial. Oh, like three years ago? I think it's or four years ago, maybe? I think it's 2017. Okay. 2017. Something like that. I'll have to look it up. So, uh, other things I thought were just important about this movie, like the whole Rainbow Coalition thing, I think is super important. I think that's a message that we can all like, like agree with, like him going out there and having solidarity with other people and, and, and uniting people of different races to uh, in, in, in common cause against that was some of the best stuff enemies. in this movie i, I, like that, I love that, that. that yeah that, that that absolutely fucking whipped ass and uh i think it's a powerful message yeah i think that stuff was awesome um let's see what uh what other messages can we take away from this movie i don't know fuck the police i don't know i don't know what else to say. <laughs> <laughs> all right all right maybe we've got to end it there i think that's it <laughs> all right well i, I guess if that's it that will conclude this week's episode uh jeff where can people find you you can find me on my blog at strangeharbors.com and you can also find me on instagram and twitter also at strange harbors what about you guys uh you can find me at www.fuckthepolice.com <laughs> how, how the fuck are you gonna urinate on food meant for fucking kids man that's unbelievable what about you derek you can find me at the wrong day dayk spelled d-a-y-i-k and that is for instagram and twitter 
Uh, but if you'd like this podcast, the easiest way to support our podcast is to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or any of the other popular podcast apps. Uh, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please do us a favor and give us a great star rating. It really helps to get our podcast out to more people. And if you guys have any questions, comments, suggestions, anything you might want to add for this episode on Judas and the Black Messiah, please shoot us an email at jeff at strangeharbors.com. Um, we like getting listener mail. Sometimes we read it on the pod. So uh, feel free to do that. And with that, I think that'll conclude this week's episode. And we will see you guys next week. See you next week, everybody. See you guys then.